0: Former
1: UNLV quarterback and current voice of the Rebels on radio, Caleb Herring is live right now on Cofield and Company.
2: Five o'clock hours here, you heard it. Caleb Herring is on the way here in just a second. Want to remind you, Barry Odom Radio shows coming up at six o'clock right here on ESPN Las Vegas after a win. Against Vanderbilt, should be a good crowd over at Parkway Tavern. So we'll be at Parkway Tavern doing the show tonight. Caleb Herring is one of the hosts at Parkway Tavern. And happy hour is going down right now at Parkway. So get on over, enjoy the happy hour specials. And then uh, for the show hour, they do have $2 on the Miller Lights. Caleb, what's going on, buddy?
3: Caleb. Hey, what's up? How you doing? I'm
2: good. I'm good. Um, I want to get into a bunch of NFL quarterbacking situations in a couple of minutes, but let's start with—I I don't even know if you uh, have much knowledge on you know, as to what the hell is going on. Um, but we were talking about Stephen A. Smith kind of warring with a bunch of folks like Max Kellerman and and Terrell Owens. DeMond, do we have this sound from Marcellus Wiley? Who, uh, you know, Wiley had his time at ESPN and with Fox, and he was kind of opining on what's going on with Stephen A, going after a bunch of people. Can you fire this, Damon?
1: Because he's smart. Because he's smarter than you. Why? Because on black issues, <laughs> T.O. says, and T.O. right. He sounds blacker than you. Why is T.O. right? Because you have proved he was right. Not because he really sounded blacker than you. Because you and your response – One, you took T.O.'s comments so seriously that you got out of character with T.O. Two, you got out of character with your partner. Three, you're still talking about that and it still gets to you. (sighs) It's hypocritical to be uh, sensitive right now if you're Stephen A. to Shannon and Shannon getting pushed out of FS1 and all of that that happened there. And not Max when you did the same thing to Max. Oh, please do not tell me it's different because Max is white. Please don't say that. I know you're not going to go there. So what's the difference? You pushed Max out, but then you're like, oh, uh, it's Shannon's story to tell. But let me just tell you, it's facts. He got pushed out. But we yeah. want to hear the story you can tell. Right,
2: that, that's, that, that covers it. That covers it. Damon, you want to explain what the hell is going on here? Because uh, I, I can't figure out why Stephen A is warring with T.O. and then degrees of blackness is coming into the conversation what is happening
4: i think this all stems from early with max kellerman where you know he's going to take over for first take and eventually he gets pushed out Stephen a he continuously goes on interviews and if you ask him about why it didn't work out with max he'll tell you and it's just oh max wasn't a good fit but he'll still say we were we've been the number one show for a decade So he wasn't a good fit, but you were still the number one show. And a lot of people are latching on to the fact that he didn't like that Max was smarter than him and Max was even further progressive and <laughs> towards the left on black issues, where that leads T.O. to say Max sounds blacker than you when they're talking about oh. Colin Kaepernick. So this is coming down to, a, I think, an issue where people on the Internet, the Internet sleuths are saying Stephen A. didn't like that Max Kellerman was getting more support from let's say the black audience on black social issues than he was.
2: Caleb, you want to jump in on this or just get to the quarterback issues?
4: <laughs>
3: I I'll, I'll jump in. I, I I remember the beef. I remember the squab. I've been tracking. I've been following it uh, because it, the nickname was Brother Max that everybody was giving him for his take. I can't remember exactly what the take was, but it was during the time with the you know the BLM and all the you know the the racial tension in America, which has been, I mean, all of American history. But it was during that time where it was really at the forefront of ESPN and the, I guess the movement of progressiveness, like Damon said, was, was really um, at its peak, let's say, with ESPN. And Max was willing to take some very uh, progressive stances publicly. Um, and T.O. was a guest on first take, and Max did so. And um, T.O. basically called... Stephen A to the fire and said, hey, Max sounds blacker than you on this because I think uh, Stephen A took the uh, cautious um, approach to making statements about those things that are controversial, which we all understand in the business. You, you do any tiptoe around issues sometimes, but Max spoke bravely, I, I guess, in the instance, and T.O. called Stephen A on it, and Stephen A got pissed off and in classic Stephen A rage moment, you know, kind of went at T.O., and ever since Theo hasn't been invited back, and he's been kind of blacklisted by Stephen A. Um, And this kind of even goes further, because in the same way that uh, Stephen A is lamenting how Shannon Sharp is being uh, pushed out by Skip, um, Stephen A has the same power in his own right at the network that is ESPN, and he can push or request or get people removed if he chooses to, and Terrell Owens is one of those people. Now, Theo has a checkered history. Um and people have you know he's been polarizing for all of his career for whatever reason. Um and Stephen A has kind of publicly tried to play up to that and, and allude to maybe that being the reason why there's some beef between them. But um all indications point to that particular beef where Stephen A is on the on the attack for whatever reason on Max Kellerman and um people have defended Max um as he's basically Shannon Sharp now. He's the Shannon Sharp in this but it's it's beneath it's beneath Stephen A. I think it's silly. It's it's dumb. Uh, I don't understand why this beef is necessary. But it gets what Stephen A. always wants, which is eyes on him and attention to his show, and the drama uh, generates viewership, and that's essentially what it is. It, he he took to social media to basically uh um to to promote his podcast. Tune in on Monday to see what I'm going to say about T.O., and I'm sure people tuned in on Monday to see what he had to say about T.O., which I'm, I'm assuming was a big nothing burger.
2: All right. Caleb Herring's with us. All right, I was seeing if Damon was going to jump in there. This is an issue we <laughs> will we will be bringing up again because uh, I'm not – well, I wouldn't even go there. with uh, that's, it, SAS has interesting viewpoints and obviously does some media with some people that uh, might surprise folks out there. Um, I saw you tweeting some positive things about Deshaun Watson watching the Browns and the Steelers. I don't know if that was in the first half In the second half. Um, I'm not saying you're a lone voice, but a lot of people are very down on Deshaun Watson thinking, man, he, he ain't what he was in Houston and he ain't getting back there.
3: Uh, I don't think he is what he was in Houston. He's far from that still. But I think uh, the the offensive system doesn't dictate that he needs to do that. And you can see early in the game and in the first game of the season and early in this game, him trying to – Struggled to figure out how to be him in a different system. That's not necessarily about him or isn't built to be about him. Um, but there was glimpses in that game where he looked like he was in rhythm and he looked like he was getting more and more comfortable now because of the game. And, you know, he had some turnovers, obviously in that game that led, I think to the loss, um, you would say he still struggled and he kind of shot himself in his foot and, and disrupted his own rhythm. But I think the, the blessing in disguise, if there's any blessing to the Nick Chubb injury, which God speeded him, thoughts and prayers, that was a gruesome injury that we all saw. Um, but the 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 bright side of that, if there is one, is that now I think you have to go all in on Deshaun Watson and letting him and the offense be what he was in Houston. Um, and I think this week is the first time you're going to see that in a Browns uniform or The offense runs through him, and I think he thrives in that situation. I think you get the best version of him and the most production out of him um, in that system. So I saw glimpses of it, and it wasn't enough, obviously, to get the win uh, last night or Monday night. But um, I think going forward, he'll have more opportunity to grow and to find that rhythm again and get closer to what he was in Houston. All
2: right, basically the same question About Russell Wilson, are you seeing signs of positivity or like a lot of people, you want to go and crush Russell Wilson?
3: I don't want to crush him. I think Russell Wilson is who he always has been, Um, which if you look at his track record, he was really great early in his career and he was really great when he was playing complementary football to a really great defense. Um, And he always had a semblance of a run game to kind of complement the pass game. I think there was a year, some years in Seattle, where his numbers were outrageous, his numbers were great, they were off the charts, but the wins were not there. And I think the proof is in the pudding and as far as that goes. Um, and essentially we're getting the same thing in Denver, where you know he needs a defense, he needs help around him to really get the best out of him. He's a great general, and this was, again, seen early in his career as sort of a slight against him or, or, or a negative thing when people called him a, a general on the field. He's, he, he does what he's supposed to do. And it's nothing spectacular when it's at its best. When he's getting to Super Bowls, when he's MVP caliber quarterback, quote unquote. So um, I still think there needs to be improvement in his chemistry and his his flow, his rhythm, and offense. But I think this year, more than last year, it's more about the team not being any good and the defensive struggles and everybody around him, the miscues, the the lack of rhythm on other positions as well. He's not going to elevate anybody else, or he's not going to elevate a team and win, and despite not having a defense. He needs everything else around him to be clicking, um, including the coaching and the play calling and the defense. All that needs to be going right for Russell Wilson to really shine. And as of right now, that's not the case in Denver.
4: I want to ask you about C.J. Stroud because two games in, he's thrown over 40 passes each game, had some more success against Indy. But is that a little bit you want to see a rookie have you know some good stats or is there some signs of he could just be good stats on a bad team?
3: I think this is the case with most quarterbacks that are drafted high to bad teams. Uh, it's unfortunate for their career because now, already two games in, people are starting to question CJ Stroud or, or even Bryce Young in Carolina because they're not having immediate success. And that's never been what happens with quarterbacks in the NFL. It just there it, there isn't many situations. Just the way that you know the, the worst teams get the earliest draft picks. so they're going into a situation where they're trying to be the hero. And that's not how football is played. You need to construct a good roster um, in order for any quarterback to thrive. Um, so early success shouldn't have been the standard for Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud. But it is It is comforting, I guess, to see some things start to develop already in, in Week 2. And the yards are there for C.J. Stroud. I think he looks comfortable at times when he's protected. He looks comfortable going through a progression, which... You can't say the same thing about guys that have been in the league for a couple of years now, like Justin Fields, um, where he doesn't look comfortable. He does look like he can, okay, let's like build a team around this guy with him as a centerpiece. Um, that's still a question mark in Chicago. But I think with what the very small sample size that C.J. Stroud has, you see the talent that got him drafted so high. You see the potential for building a team around him. And you get excited about, if you're a Houston Texans fan, about if he stays healthy, if you can protect him for a couple of years, and allow for a team to develop and be built around him, you think he may have a chance to, to become a really good team with a, the quarterback of the future.
4: You mentioned Chicago there, and JVT mentioned it the other day, that, hey, the first couple of scripted plays, the first 10 plays of the game, Justin Fields looks like a good NFL quarterback. It's after that where he has to go off the script, and that's where he looks as terrible as he has. But what is that fine line between you as a quarterback, the plays that are being called just not fitting for you, and maybe just Justin Fields doesn't have it?
3: I think the two go hand in hand. Uh, if, if you, as a quarterback, can't make the plays work for you, then you just don't have it. Um, and that, to me, is one of the signs of a good quarterback is the ability to adapt, adjust to the play calls, make them work for you, so to speak. Um, I think you can solve that problem. You can be creative with it. I think if you look at Dallas and what they used to do in years past when Kellen Moore was the offensive coordinator, I know they're, they're looking a lot better. But when Dak would struggle to be on the same page with uh, with his play caller, they would go tempo. So there's not enough time to make decisions or think really. It's just we're doing tempo, the plays that I'm calling, the way I'm designing these plays, and my ability to even talk to you for the first fifteen seconds of the play in the helmet and tell you what I'm thinking um during that tempo phase helps the quarterback success. And I it's just off the top of my head, remembering Dallas and some of the times that their offense, even during the struggles of the last couple of seasons, when they look good, or when they looked their best is when they went past tempo. And I think that helps Dak, that helps quarterbacks who maybe don't see through the lens of their offensive coordinator quite right. Um, it helps them to find some success and um, really affect the defense and affect the offensive flow um, by using tempo to your advantage. But that could be an answer. But I, I also just think that some at some point, every quarterback needs to take the onus and say, you know what, I'm the problem. And I don't know if Justin Fields has all the way done that yet in this point, and there's been some snippets of him in the media um, uh, kind of alluding to the fact that maybe coaching and, and things around him are causing him to hesitate and not be as thorough with his reads. But at the end of the day, you're in year, what, three now? You need to figure something out. Otherwise, the franchise has every right to move on from you and, and look elsewhere for their anti-quarterback.
2: Caleb Harrings with us, the former quarterback of UNLV, one of the voice of the Rebels, co-host of the Barry Odom Radio Show, which is coming up here in about – 45 minutes over at Parkway Tavern at 215 and Flamingo. $2 on the Miller Lights during the show between 6 and 7. Come out. There's always uh, ticket giveaways. That Hawaii ticket is going to be tough to get, Uh, usually hat giveaways and some other good stuff. So get on over to Parkway Tavern tonight at 6 o'clock to uh, meet, greet, watch Barry Odom during his radio show. All right, last couple of quarterback situations that we wanted to talk about. I'm always curious to uh, discuss with you ball distribution. And right now with the Raiders, Hunter Renfro is not getting targeted. Um, Josh McDaniels said something kind of interesting, which I, I don't know. I don't want to read too much into it because it's, it could be a quote that's kind of pulled out of context. But um, talking about Hunter Renfro, he said, quote, he should have got the ball more than he did yesterday.
3: So this is on Jimmy G? I, I, that's what that quote would allude to, that's right? right? That's, what, that's yeah. what he's kind of hitting at. Um, and maybe it's, it's you know – Defense is taking away things that they anticipate they have with him. And and kind of the space he operates in is one that you would think just demands touches because he's a mismatch in the inside as a slot receiver versus what you would say you know linebackers sometimes, based on the play call, are matched up with him. So he's he's able to get open. Even if he's guarded by a cornerback, if he's guarded by a defensive back, he still has the ability to get open. We've seen his route running. It's superb. It's top-notch. Um, so he's the type of guy that can be a difference maker. Why you wouldn't be able to, I think maybe the package dictates and the way that they're trying to use him in this offense is you have to establish a run and use him off of play action a little bit more. And that's where he maybe uh, butters, uh, butters his bread is off of that play action type pass. The run game was non-existent last week. So potentially that's why. But going forward, he has to be a part. I think he's a valuable piece of the offense. He creates uh, uh, problems for defenses. Uh, he has to be an attention maker. Devontae Adams can't do it all by himself as the, the primary wide receiver threat, especially if uh, Myers is not going to be available if he's going to be down with injuries. Hunter Rufo has to produce. He has to absolutely give you something. And any offensive coordinator or offensive system that goes without letting him get a touch or a target during the course of a 60-minute ball game. I think you failed your team if you can't draw something up to get him involved, or at least to make him uh, a primary target on some of your play design. All
2: right, let's stick with the theme. Daman, you want to go?
4: No, you can get there. I, I wanted to jump over to college real quick, but if you're going to the NFL, yeah. go.
2: No, no, I was gonna. I wanted to get to uh, stick with the theme of wide receivers and targets. For you, what changed? Was it the quarterback going from Brumfield to Mayava? What changed with Ricky White, who really hadn't been targeted very much? The rebels' wide receiver in the first two games of the year to him getting 16 targets in the last game.
3: I think uh, there's a couple of reasons that I could say probably contributed to it. One, younger quarterback, first real playing time and meaningful minutes. You lean to your number one guy more like that. I know he's the guy. Um, I'm going to go to him more. And also, your play calling may have initially been let's get our guy, let's go to safe throws, let's go to easy reads, let's go to things that we know who, you know, the primary guy is. Um, That could have been the case initially. Then I think if you look at it, that just the sheer number of plays that the offense was on the field dictated a lot of just the ball getting out and getting distributed to who it should, whether it was Ricky or not. There was just more offensive plays consecutively. There was more extended series that the change removed. You got first down. Thinking back to Bryant, Short field a lot for UNLV, striking with explosive plays. The offense just didn't have as many plays. I think they ended up with 60 or 65 total plays of offense in that game. And, you know, most of it was in, you know, when the game was well-decided against Michigan, three and out. Not a lot of extended drive. Didn't cross midfield very often during that game. So the offense just wasn't on the field enough for Ricky and anybody to really catch a rhythm. This game against Vanderbilt, there was time and plays available on drives to set up plays to get down into the playbook, and to allow your guys to find windows and to find opportunities to be targeted. Um, so I think both of those things um, played a part in why Ricky got loose. And then also just the fact that he's a great player. I think he found, a, you got to give him credit as a receiver, found ways to get open, make himself available, and to come through um, with making catches. He had a couple of drops earlier in the year. I know one against Michigan that should have been a completion, but I think he was pretty on the on the mark in this game as far as, um, when he got targeted, he made the, uh, made the plays and, and came down with the football more often than not.
4: Caleb, speak of, speaking of targeting, you're the first former player that we've had on this week. So I want to ask you, the Henry Blackburn hit on Travis Hunter, was it targeting? And do you think it was a dirty hit?
3: Okay, so by definition, I don't believe it was targeting. The, the call shouldn't have been targeting. I think it was absolutely a dirty hit. It was a cheap shot. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't go as far as to say Bounty Gate, but you can tell the intentions were clear. He wanted to inflict pain specifically on that player. Um, I I don't want to go as far as accusing coaches of being up to that and putting him up to it. I'm not going to go that far. But I think you don't have to have a player with the rivalry that was brewing, with the energy in the stadium, with the trash that was being talked by both sides before the game. The coach didn't have to initiate a bounty. Uh, I think any player given that opportunity probably takes that same shot from Colorado state. They probably try to get Travis Hunter out. Um, and I, I'm not saying that it's okay. It's dirty. It's a dirty hit. It's clearly intended to harm, not to make a football play. Um, so in that sense, it's dirty. It's not targeting by rule, but this is why I think the targeting rule has issues. I think it was initiated for player safety and things like that. Um, talking about intention where it's launching at the head with the head or neck area, things like that. But I don't think you can police intent. And that is one of the hardest things. And just overlaps with my law enforcement career. Intent is one of the hardest things to prove. Um, You can't say the intent of that player was to injure Travis Hunter. You can't say that definitively in order to throw a penalty flag and to prove it, I guess, in the football court of law. But, um, you can say and speculate that it was dirty and the intentions were to harm. It wasn't a football play. It was an incomplete pass. Anybody who's played this game for as long as I presume he has or has mastered his craft to that le- the degree to be a Division One college starting safety understands that the play was over and your contact was not necessary. That forceful contact was not necessary. Does it meet the standards of targeting? No. But it meets the standards to anybody who knows football of dirty. It was a dirty play. Um... And I can't see how anybody would defend it as anything less than that. So whoa, I don't whoa, know how whoa, you eliminate whoa, whoa. it, but. <laughs>
2: whoa, wait a second. Um, I absolutely defended it. So did Von Tobel as a bang, bang play. Now I will nope. readily admit that <laughs> I am a hothead even at this age. And uh, I've always been a hothead. So if you talk a bunch of trash at me on the football field before the game, there may be a hit coming that could be a split second late. So.
3: And. And I think that's what it was. I think it was, yep. and to me, in my book, that, that makes it dirty. I think you know that there's a clear moment of defining that, hey, this isn't a football play anymore. And it's a split-second decision. I would even say it's a mistake. Like Deion Sanders said, it was a mistake. But the mistake was a dirty play, that if he could go back and you know have a second decision, he could very easily have pulled up and not made that hit. And we see it all the time. Um, in games that are less contentious and less, you know, combative, uh, where guys pull up in that situation, where it's clearly an incomplete pass, you see the ball drop three, four yards in front of you, uh, and you beeline it. Change angles actually after the ball is incomplete and after both other players give up. Travis Hunter's kind of lets his guard down. The other defender kind of lets his guard down as well. Both of them are already, have already given up at the point that uh, Blackburn makes his decision to launch. And to me, it it's clear as day, not just the hit. But it's the aftermath of the hit too that you can kind of surmise the intentions there. It's the stare down of the sideline, like he's waiting for somebody. Are you going to jump? Who wants it? Then he walks around looking like, "Hey, who else? Who's coming?" He's anticipating. He's expecting some some resistance to what he just did. Um, so I, I to me, I I've been around football my entire life. I can't chalk that up as a dirty anything other than a dirty play and. I would say maybe a mistake, but a dirty play nonetheless. And you understand with the emotions of the game why a player would make a dirty play like that. But still in my book, it's dirty. Dirty is dirty.
2: All right, Caleb. Good job. Good answer. Damon liked it. Uh, we'll see you in 40 minutes over at the Barry Odom Radio Show. Thank you. All
3: right, guys. Take care. See you then.
2: There he is, Caleb Herring. Uh, Coach's show is coming up in about 40 minutes. Barry Odom Radio Show. On the way back, though, we're going to talk to Arash Markazi, Get a lot more on the L.A. scene, some Vegas news, and news out of Hawaii.
1: Now, back to Coalfield
0: and Company at the Battle Born Broadcast Center on ESPN Las
2: Vegas. 32 minutes away from the Barry Odom Radio Show, coming up at 6 o'clock, live at Parkway Tavern 215 and Flamingo. Meanwhile, we're live here at the Battleborne Broadcast Center. Thanks for housing the show to uh, Justin and the rest of the crew here. You can call from anywhere in the state of Nevada. 766-1400 is the number for Battleborn Injury Lawyers. Let's bring in our Wednesday guest. At this time, we always talk to uh, Rosh Markazi from The Messenger from the Sporting Tribune about what's going on in L.A. and Vegas and Hawaii. And uh, Rosh, I saw you did a story on the uh, trop here in town, and a lot of the fan desires don't kind of match what's going to happen with the A's coming here. And meanwhile, I just heard—I just heard last week—so there was a report that the A's and Oakland, well, Oakland could actually get an expansion team. I like—I don't. I don't get it. Let them keep the Haze They want them, and we get the expansion team, right? It's so true, and I quoted you in my story just because I've
0: been so fascinated by this is the first time that, that, that Las Vegas, and not just the fans, but really sports professionals like yourself. Nobody wants this team. Not only does no one want this team, no one wants them to build the stadium where the Tropicana <laughs> currently sits. And it's not that they want to save the Tropicana, but if you want to tear that down and the way that you put it, team, if you want to build a resort that would be a beautiful resort that's used 365 days a year, perfect. But to build a ballpark that's going to be half empty and used for, you know, a quarter of the year, like if that, if that's if you put in concerts
2: and other events it's ridiculous arash is with the sporting tribune the messenger let's build on what you just said about the story you wrote you use a couple of my quotes i appreciate that but arash does the work man he does the work you actually stayed at the tropicana to kind of check it out down the stretch here i did you know
0: they, they, asked, listen, they do an amazing job with their marketing i kept on getting these ads you know 49 dollars Right, right.
2: Josh is with us. All right, let's talk about uh, – well, I, I'll mention this. A lot of the feedback you got on your stay at the Tropicana and the potential stadium going in for the A's was no one's going to go. Um, I think they'll be okay attendance-wise for the first four or five years, and I wanted to build on that with attendance. This is not an easy town to draw in if you don't win, and UNLV football has felt that pain. Now, it's only you know one – Big win here. Could it be a program turner against an SEC team in Vanderbilt? Maybe. But this city is always kind of yearning for UNLV to give them something. And they might have something here. Now, they're going to go on the road and play UTEP. And then the next week, I think, is going to be really special. If UNLV can get the win this week, they'll have momentum. And then Hawaii's in town. And this is always a heated game. Um, I think the Hawaiians are going to turn out big time because, as you know, we're the ninth island. This could be a really nice crowd at the Al and you know, finally push – a crowd past the 30,000. They've had a couple of games like that, but man, it would be nice to get in a, a bigger, louder crowd to a game here with Hawaii on the docket on the 30th. 100%.
0: 100%. And as you said, it's the Ninth Island. You're going to get a lot of fans coming out there. they they, they circled that day. A lot of the fans I've talked to was really hoping that there would be a game on a Sunday that they could go to as well. But it, it's going to be a fun weekend. Again, it's, it's fight weekend as well. you got Canelo, oh, Carlo. Nice. Um, so I really think that, 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 that when you win in Vegas, attendance will go up. And by the way, you know, give give some credit to the program, me being a local now in Las Vegas. But right? I like I've been to Costco a few times. They're selling tickets at Costco. So listen, I mean if if you've always wanted to go to the stadium and you haven't gone yet, you gotta go at some point.
2: Um, the roster is filled with Hawaiian players and in fact right now with Doug Brumfield injured the number one and two quarterbacks of Brumfield can't play this weekend are native Hawaiians. Uh, they've got Hawaiians on the roster, like uh, Blessing the Linebacker, true freshman out of Hawaii. And the quarterbacks are Jade Maiava and Cam Friel. The other big thing that's happening here for Hawaiians, aside from the football game, is one of their favorite fast food joints is actually opening a spot outside of the islands for the first time. It'll be here in Vegas. Have you been to Zippies? Zippy's.
0: Zippy. Uh, Min-Hawaii, and, and whatever I've brought up, how Vegas is the ninth Island, I've brought up things like that. they got Zippy's. they got an ABC store in Vegas. I mean,
2: that is, I mean, that place is going to do amazing numbers. Yep, uh, Zippy's is opening up on October 10th, and uh, it's on uh, 7095 Badura, so that'll be interesting, uh, down by 215 and Rainbow. Uh, Rosh is with us from the Sporting Tribune. We check in on LA News, Vegas News, Hawaii news. One more Hawaii note. Um, The Maui Classic officially, the Maui Invitational, is going to move. It's going to be in Honolulu, and I think they had no choice, right? 100%. I mean, they couldn't
0: have it in Hawaii, but, I mean, it is like Vegas – very much run on tourism, so I mean they really want to keep these events there. They don't want to take a one-year pause. They don't want to move it somewhere else. So if there's a way that they can raise funds for Maui by playing this game, by the way, the Clippers are doing the same thing. That was not a scheduled game. The Clippers having a preseason game with the Utah Jazz in Honolulu. 100 percent. Those funds going to 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 Maui. It's really important that that when they get up and going again, you know people if they can, you know, go out there, have a good time, go stay at a hotel Uh, because a a community like that uh, you know, is run on tourism, so yeah they they did not want to take a one year pause on that big
2: event. Arash, let's talk some LA football Uh, first of all, I think a lot of people who are new to gambling looked at uh, McVay kicking a field goal with four seconds left and then you know, claimed there was something up Uh, he did talk about it, and I know he said he, he didn't know about the point spread
0: I mean that that tweeted crazy numbers because I, I had so many friends who put something on that game. The spread was seven and a half. San Francisco's up by ten point four seconds to go. Yep. There's nothing to play for, yeah. uh, and it kicks a meaning. I'm Steve. I've never seen a meaningless field goal as time expires. You've seen guys throw it to the end zone, maybe try to get a touchdown, but um, that was crazy. Again, that was, of course McJay didn't know about the point spread, but that wasn't about that. But, I mean, the number of vets that were won and lost off a of meaningless, time-expiring field goal is nuts.
2: So give us an update on what's going on with the Chargers and their uh, new practice facility in El Segundo. You talked about how El Segundo is this growing sports community uh, about a month ago in the Sporting Tribune. They've also got a whole deal with what, a shopping village called uh, Chargers Commons?
0: Yeah, so right next to where the Chargers are building their practice facility in uh, Mel Segundo, and then folks who don't know, it's where the Lakers practice, where the uh, King's hockey team uh, practices as well. They're building a yeah, Charmin, Chargers Common. So it's basically, you know, a shopping center. They got a, a, a food location, so they have a Hand express there. And the Raising Cane's, which uh, is one of my favorites. So if you're a Chargers beat reporter and you um, <laughs> got to know who the coach is going to be next year, uh, you got a place to go get some food.
4: Arash, uh, I'm not an L.A. expert. So when it comes to this new common, the Charger Commons that they're calling it, how close is it to actual L.A. if I wanted to be a tourist and say, I'll go see that in the Staples Center in the same day? El is about a half—I mean, if you're in downtown, if
0: you're in front of Crypto.com Arena, formerly Staples Center, it's about a half-hour drive. But listen, if you're liking El Segundo, and I've and I hyped them up just because it's a small town that's done like a lot of big things, you're 10 minutes away from the beach. So, you know, clearly don't just go for the Chargers Colonnades. But Chargers Colonnades is right next to Topgolf. So if you're there, you got the Kings Rink, you got the Lakers basketball— Practice facility, you got the Chargers, practice facility. There's a lot happening out there.
2: Where do we go? Are we got to El Segundo Beach, Bruce's Beach, or uh, I think you know Manhattan Beach pretty well?
0: Manhattan Beach is where you got to go. I, Come I, on. Uh, I mean, that's, that's, I, that's definitely I, the place that you have to go. But listen, once you're in uh, Manhattan Beach, you can kind of stroll down the strand to Hermosa, and it's a fun
2: place to be. The facility is opening when, and will Brandon Staley get to actually use it?
0: It's a great question. I mean, I mean Steve, the way that these lost these uh, two games where they have the lead with less than uh, three minutes to go in the fourth quarter is terrible. I, I like if this contending you will not be the coach. They are open to uh, have it be open for the uh, the uh, draft next year, so their war hmm. room will be at this new practice facility. Next year. And by the way, it'll be amazing for the Los Angeles reporters because right now, currently, the Chargers practice in Costa Mesa. And by the way, speaking of practice facilities, Steve, the Rams moving all the way from Agoura Hills, Thousand Oaks area, to Woodland Hills next year as well.
2: Oh yeah, getting getting much closer. Not really, but it, but it is closer in Woodland Hills. And you and I you and I talk about that neighborhood all the time. So hopefully, they can build a a second story on uh, El Torito. Um, with with, with Brandon Staley. Uh, I believe he's going to turn it around. I think people are freaking out over close losses here, and they're a couple of coin flips away and uh, converting some third downs, getting a little better blocking in uh, critical situations from winning one or two of those games. Does Telesco survive? He's the one who hired Staley, and, you know, I like Staley a lot, and I think the hire was a good hire, but, man, people are going to look at this. If he fires Staley or they fire Staley and go, hey, Tom, you went to school with freaking Brian Dable. Why didn't you hire him? It's such a great question because I don't think I've,
0: I've I've seen a GM hire four different coaches. Usually, like a GM gets one, two, right. maybe three. So this is this will be very interesting if they finally make the decision. And I agree, I agree with you. I hope Staley turns it around. However, if he doesn't, I mean, how in the world can you give Tom Coughlin a chance to hire his fifth head
2: coach? Yep. Uh, last couple things. Uh, We had the announcement the other day, uh, you know, USC is going to be taking on Colorado after uh, the Buffs try to pull the upset on Oregon. Real interesting because uh, they want Colorado on TV, so they've made this a big noon kickoff. Uh, Well, that means a 9 a.m. Pacific time start. USC will go uh, to Boulder, but they're playing at 9 local time. That's crazy. But but here's the thing. Guess what? Get used to it. That's going to be the story in the Big Ten a lot. 100%. One hundred percent. I mean, see, this is not something that they like.
0: The first time this happened was during the pandemic season, when Big Noon kickoff, I think, where it was in their second season. They had a nine a.m. kickoff at the Coliseum. Again, no fans, no tailgating, things like that. But you're right. Steve. this is their new reality. Moving to the Big Ten, there will be a lot of big noon kickoffs against Penn State, Michigan, Ohio State. You go down the list. And so, yes, while it's not ideal, I mean, they're going to be so jacked up, so pumped up for that game. Because, again, uh, it, it's Dion, it's Colorado. The number that that game did, and we talked to Jay Bell before the season. I mean, I, I, I was
4: just happy that nearly, what was it, like close to 10 million people watched that game. Rush. moving on to USC basketball, I've got to ask, where did you find the James and James Jr. t-shirt jerseys? Well, I hate to give them another plug, but the
0: great city of El Segundo has the big sporting goods. <laughs> and, uh, and listen, uh, they had, uh, had Brawny James Jr. and LeBron James uh, jerseys or, or t-shirts shirt jerseys right next to each other so it was a really cool moment and uh i know lebron will switch to 23 this season well i mean i, I just had to like imagine like what a proud dad lebron would be you knowing his son is getting his jersey sold
2: too russia right, the man we appreciate all the time i know you're uh driving to see the better half so say hi to her from us and be careful. You're a pro, man. Driving and being on the phone is is crazy. I I can barely drive in LA, but you're you're a pro. See ya, bye.
1: Cofield and company presents
4: Hey, hold on, hold on, hold on. Bigger, bigger.
1: grab bag.
4: Don't touch it. Don't even look at it.
1: Only on ESPN Las Vegas. Vegas.
3: Stick your hand in there, Dave.
2: bag time. Let's close out here before we hand it off to uh, Learfield and the Barry Odom radio show. Caleb Herring is waiting over at Parkway Tavern. You can listen here, but go to Parkway Tavern. One location that we do the show from and then multiple locations around the valley and right now is the uh, end of happy hour, but every day they've got three to six happy hour and then late night happy hour uh, for the Odom show. $2 Miller Lights during the hour. Come on down. You can ask some questions. By the way, before we get out of here, if you want to tweet me like now, uh, tweet me any questions you have. I do have some listener questions that I will throw at Barry Odom, uh, again, in less than 10 minutes. So, Damon found a story that's right up my alley. I'll explain that in a second. Uh, NBA player James Johnson, this is uh, also along with Ryan Hollins, who played in the NBA, starts talking about his fighting background and the fact that he would love at some point to challenge the heavyweight champion of the world in the UFC, John Jones.
0: I think I could beat him for real. But like I said, with a year of training defense, I just need ground defense.
1: I think the scary thing, because we're big athletes, it's like, okay, JJ can move how you move, and he's 6'8". Right. That's the scary part, like, where, okay, he can do everything you do, and he's 6'8". Like, that's where the, the big difference comes in
0: yeah and the opposite is he started learning how to use your hands and your feet what after college like i've been punching and kicking since i was five six years old so like Oof. the same thing for me though is the opposite for him because he's been wrestling for that long learning yeah. all his wrestling moves and things like that for that long for me you know what i mean i started learning a wrestling game and all that in middle school the jujitsu you know he has a big advantage there because no one wants to get on the floor but as long as i can keep him from going on the floor
2: i win Really interesting angle here. Now, when you hear it on the surface, you're like, all right, this guy's a former or, you know, going out of the NBA player, 36 years old. Bruh, cut it out. You're not going to the UFC to fight John Jones. But there is something here. Or am I wrong?
4: Yeah, he's uh, like a second-degree black belt in karate. And he has been training, like, a little bit, of, it sounds like, jujitsu and wrestling. So he thinks that his karate background since the age of seven— would propel him to a win against John. He was Jones. a pretty high level
2: kickboxer in competitions up until he went to school to play basketball. He went to Wake Forest. He's been a really good, you know, good bench player in the NBA. He is gigantic. You know, you're talking about a guy who's six seven and probably 245 pounds. I mean, I think he'd need a lot of time. He may be uh, like underscoring a little bit the groundwork because mm-hmm. John Jones is a master at this. He's also a brilliant tactician when it comes to fighting. But I would love for them to give James Johnson a chance. And by the way. I forget, this is up on some site, Sports Keto, which I'm sure uh, aggregated from somewhere else. Um, I would love for someone to be like, wow, first time I ever heard about this. Man, these guys are really onto something. Oh, is that right? <laughs> so I sent you a link. Did you see it? No, what was it? Oh, 2009. 2009. Uh-huh. When he was going into the NBA, I wrote a story about James Johnson saying, my God, I would love to see him in the UFC down the road. Because of his background. So I was on this, what, 14 years ago. I'm getting old. When I see a guy play in the NBA, when I, when I predict before he plays a game in the NBA, coming out of college, that he could be a fighter down the road, I hope he doesn't. But yeah, I did, I did a story because uh, I used to be the editor uh, for Cage Fighter up on Yahoo Sports as the MMA guy. And I, when I saw James Johnson's background, I love college basketball. I love the NBA. And I was like, wow, he has a really good kickboxing background.
4: I wish he would have tried to do this sooner. Because now this was 14 years ago when you wrote the story I'm thinking he's mid to late 30s he's, he's 35 or 36. yeah, he had a good NBA career but, but
2: and he's probably he's made a lot of money and in the UFC he's not going to make a whole lot of money at the beginning. Yeah um, can he be a, a quick study uh, in really shoring up his ground game? maybe I mean I, I hope they I hope he gives it a chance or gives it a run. I hope they give him a shot. I, I don't know if Jones will be around in three years who knows what happens with John Jones but but here's here's the ultimate thing. So what we talk about here is, and Brian Hollins is pumping him up, like, hey, we're big, we're athletes. I don't think people realize how athletic professional football and basketball players are because Matt Mitrione got a cup of coffee, but he kept getting hurt in the NFL. He was with the Giants. He played defensive uh, tackle at Purdue. Man, he came in, and he's like 6'5", you know, 255, actually kind of a mushy build. He wasn't really like a bodybuilder type, and he was such a good athlete and he logged a pretty good record. We're talking about at the highest level of fighting in MMA. And he logged a good record by just his hands. His friggin' hand speed. People are like, what is going on? This guy doesn't look like he's anything. He played in the NFL. Do you realize how athletic you have to be
4: to play in the NFL? I felt like half of the guys from that season of The Ultimate Fighter, because he was on that season with Kimbo and Brandon Schaub, I felt like a lot of those guys, because it was a heavyweight season, were just former football players.
2: Shab was. Schaub played at Colorado. Yeah. But Schaub was. I don't think Schaub had the, Not uh, the highest level. heights that uh, Mitrione did. Mitryon's hands were nuts and you know if the if uh, UFC and MMA can get more guys to cross over from football and basketball you know at 28 29 or even earlier then it's only gonna and, and it's just and it's uh, it's really a division outside of guards in the NBA but everyone else it's really a division that needs the infusion of high-level athletes at heavyweight.
4: Yeah because I'm tired of seeing the, the big slabs where you watch a couple guys and it's like, yeah, oh, this is not interesting Right, and
2: guys who truly have wrestling backgrounds and then don't have good hands and they go against, uh, you know, a former NBA or that has already had a little bit of training and has the hands or a former NFL player who's been working at it for a couple of years. Like, Greg uh, Hardy was okay. He still did He still did some He's damage. Decent. So that, that's a good example. James Johnson, to me, that's the guy I pointed to back in 2009 as a crossover guy. I'm like, I want to see this. All right, that wraps it. Thank you, Damon. Good job today. Thanks for Rosh Ross you just popped on with us. Coming up, the Barry Odom Radio Show right here on ESPN Las Vegas.